Hello and welcome to the Manchester Red Podcast. My name is Stephen Railston and we are recording after Manchester United beat Arsenal 3-2 on Thursday night. But more importantly, on Friday, Ralph Ranić was unveiled as the manager officially to the media. Um, I am joined by my colleagues, Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone. Samuel, how are you? Very well, thank you, Stephen. How are you? Brilliant, brilliant. I'm not too bad. Thank you very much. You're looking very smart. Obviously, the listeners who are listening there won't be able to see that. Tyrone, I didn't introduce you by your second name there. I'm not so not sure why. How are you, Tyrone Marshall? <laughs> I'm very good. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for the formal introduction. Yeah, all good. Enjoyed of listening course. to uh, to the new United manager this morning and an entertaining United press conference. Uh, I'm not sure I'll ever catch on. <laughs> yeah, it was less robotic. It was a pleasure to see. Um, Ranić was a bit charismatic and was kind of reminiscent of the Mourinho days and some of the little jokes he had. Samuel, obviously you were there today. Um, to begin with, what were your first impressions of Ranić and Obviously, like I say, he had a bit of a sense of humour. It was nice to see, wasn't it? It was quite personable. He was. He was very articulate. I think he answered 23 questions in in, in half an hour or something like that anyway. Um, don't, don't quote me on that, but it was 20-odd <laughs> anyway. And pretty much every question he received, he, he gave a very cogent and um, interesting answer to. Even there was, there was a question about, Erling Haaland from the only Norwegian left in Manchester, but they, was, mm-hmm. they still had to crowbar Erling Haaland into uh, a United press conference. And he, he came out with a joke about, uh, there's this report that apparently ran yet a signing bonus if United signed Haaland. And he then just consulted his sheets and said, oh yes, uh, 10 million for Haaland, 10 million for Mbappe, 10 million for Lewandowski, 10 million for Kimmich. And then he said, obviously this is nonsense. Um, but even after that, he still, had the courtesy to give uh, the Norwegian reporter an answer on Haaland and why Haaland wasn't priority for United anymore. And Haaland was the least of our priorities in terms of asking him questions today. I think pretty much all bases were covered. It was interesting, just four questions in that he said um, that he, I think because of his, his profile and his coaching cachet, we all suspected that he wouldn't just settle for interim manager that's why this two-year consultancy role is tagged onto it but the fact that he said that he would be open to managing beyond the end of the season was was newsworthy and and not a surprise i thought he chimed with the supporters with some of the things he said talking about uh the, the pureness of uh, the atmosphere during the arsenal game and when he said that he was pointing behind him in uh, in direction to, to the stadium outside of course because we were inside the the, the press conference room in the stadium, uh, the, the Ronaldo line wasn't too much of a line, fortunately. Uh, you know, Rangnick said he has to adapt to the players rather than vice versa. It would have been mad if he'd come out and said Ronaldo's going to have to do this, that, and the other for me after scoring two goals last night, uh, another winning goal as well. And just just his general enthusiasm for the club. It was very clear that the difference between the, the Chelsea of last season when Rangnick rejected the chance to be an interim be their interim manager after Frank Lampard was sacked and he, he told Jonathan Northcroft in, in, in his Sunday Times interview he'd have been a lame duck of a manager. The difference now is that it's a little bit longer uh, with Manchester United, managing them for six months, six and a half months and also it's Manchester United. Um, it, it has a lot more weight. It, you know, I think Graham Sooner said it earlier this season that the, the four huge clubs in British football remain United, Liverpool, Celtic and Rangers. And I think a lot of people would would agree with him on that. But in terms of Ranić's demeanour, um, I just thought the opening address was was a good start in that he was he was grateful for people getting up early. Uh, just I know, I know it's, it's a very it's a small, small minor detail, but 
most of us there this morning were there last night, leaving at gone midnight and getting home uh, close to one a.m. because of um, because of the Arsenal game and the kickoff time of that. But it was nice to be back at Old Trafford for a press conference in person. I think the last time we were all in that room would have been after United beat City uh, in in the March twenty twenty derby. So that was that's probably the high point of Solskjaer's um, permanent managerial. Um, time at the club and here we are back in there nearly two years later with with a new manager to talk to but I think as we all suspected um, we, we like the cut of his jib uh, you've, you've seen how quotable Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel have been um, and, and Rangnick kind of sings from the same hymn from the same hymn sheet like his, his tactical breakdown of the, of the performance against Arsenal was succinct but erudite and as I said, he, he still managed to chime with the supporters by harking back to his own, um, to his youth when he was living over here, uh, studying at the University of Sussex and going to White Hart Lane, Highbury. He said he went to Goodison, Anfield, um, the old Goldstone ground when, when Brighton played there as well. So he's he's an unabashed Anglophile. Um, he's, he's fully aware of how uh, frenzied and passionate uh, English supporters are following their clubs as well. So he it stands him in good stead and he, he talked a very good game. And the challenge now is obviously for United to play a very good game. That leads us on to my next question, Ty, because it's all well and good, sounding brilliant and, and selling it to the press and, and getting those sound bites. But Randick comes with a decent CV and his, his approach is probably the opposite of Sarsgaard and exactly what United need. Do you think he can turn around results on the pitch? Because that's ultimately, ultimately where he's going to be judged. Yeah, I think I think he probably can. Um, I mean, it, it was it, it certainly gave the impression that he's been watching a lot of United this season and, and knows their problems. I think he he reeled off five games that he's watched recently. I, I think he obviously he was there last night. He mentioned Watford and Chelsea, and then said he'd gone back and watched Liverpool and City games. But the way he spoke, you, you sensed he'd been devouring the the season review so far DVD in his hotel room, and I think within the first. 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of his press conference, he'd mentioned the word control or controlling games half a dozen times. And that has been United's flaw this season. They just don't have any control. You watch the top three and they all they all control games. They play games to their own tempo. They dictate how games are going to play and the opposition have to live with that and adapt to that. And at United, you just don't get that. When you've got better players than the opposition, it should be you dictating how the game is played, you controlling the game, controlling the tempo, having it on your terms. Klopp, Guardiola, Tuchel's teams all do that. United haven't. And and that's been, I mean, it's been a case probably throughout Solskjaer's tenure, but it's been more obvious this year and more damning this year because of the money they spent in the summer. The fact that they've got a world-class squad, yet they turned games against Watford, Leicester, Everton, Villa into just, basketball matches really just one end to the other slog fests and it, it shouldn't be like that and I thought um, Ranić was illuminating when he talked about the Arsenal game the night before and how entertaining it was but from a coach's perspective not what you want to see really and I think he said at one point you didn't know at the end if it was going to go 3-3 or 4-2 and that's true and that's damning on United really and and there was you know we were in the press box and everyone was saying this you know this could easily end 3-3 in fact it, it would almost be fitting if it ended Three, three. Given the way United play this season, there is just team. There's no control in their in their game. So I think it's it's fitting that he's obviously noticed that that is a major issue. It was stark that he kept going back to that word control, 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 and how they're going to get it. So he clearly knows what he wants to do. He was very realistic in terms of it. You're not going to see a revolution on Sunday against Palace. You're not going to see it in one or two weeks or 
or maybe even one or two months, it's going to be a gradual process. You're probably, to use the, the modern phrase, you're probably not going to see full Ranić ball even before the end of the season. It is going to be a gradual process. There's not a lot of training ground time at this stage of the season. A lot of it's going to be via video, but he clearly knows what he wants to do. It's a talented enough squad to be fourth in the Premier League, at least even accepting for the fact the top three are over the hill, really. So it, it will be interesting to see what he can do. Um, I'm sure he can turn results around. I did think it was brilliant that within 10 minutes of, of being United manager, he was already pitching for the permanent job in the summer. Um, I, <laughs> I can imagine how that was going down in the... Uh, in the executive rooms upstairs, given the, the upheaval recently and probably what they were planning. And you wonder if they might have wanted a bit more of a neutral answer, but it's not a surprise to anyone, as Samuel says, that he's he is keeping his options open and would like the job. Um, and he's certainly got the, the potential for it. It'd be fascinating to see how he goes, really, because he's, you know, he's, he's very open with the media. He's always been happy to do interviews. As we saw today, he will answer every question. He answers them engagingly and, and charismatically and, as we said, German coaches, a bit of a stereotype, but they are very quotable. And as a result, it feels like everyone knows his philosophy and knows what he's about. Yet he's coached 80-something games in the last 10 years, which is is remarkable, really. Um, obviously, he's been doing different roles in that time. So it is, in many ways, it's a fascinating appointment. But he certainly said all the right things. And in terms of what we're going to see on the pitch, it felt to me fairly obvious that he'd seen the flaws in United this year. He'd seen what the problem was and it did keep coming back to that word control and, and that's what they need to do. They need to start controlling games. If we talk about his style of playing, his philosophy um, a bit more and obviously everywhere he's been at in Leipzig, it's, it's underpinned by high pressing and intense football. Samuel, we've always laughed at the season critics of Ronaldo because it's just quite unbelievable how excellent he's performed and yet some people have pointed out that perhaps his work rate isn't the best. Um, how important was it today that Randnick, as you touched upon in your answer, was a bit complimentary to Ronaldo and kind of squashed that straight out of the blocks? It would have been odd if he'd said he needs to do this, that and the other, as I said, after scoring two more goals last night. He's earned them, I think, nine points through his goals in the Premier League. He's earned them all 10 points in the Champions League. Every game they've won in the Premier League since he rejoined the club, he has scored in. There are some pundits out there that just just will not cease with this non-debate and they're trying to make a debate out of it, but there there is no debate. He just has to start. And if they hadn't signed him, they'd have had Cavani, who's got a fitness issue every five minutes. They've got Rashford, who's been out of form all year. They've got Marshall, who's been out of form for well upwards of a year. Mason Greenwood is a hell of a talent, but he's very raw and he doesn't play through the middle very often at all. He's played most of his football from the right. So who the hell would have scored the goals? Uh, You dread to think where they'd have been had they not signed him. And I I don't buy, if if anyone's trying to shovel the theory that had they not signed him, Solskjaer might still be in the job and United might be thriving in the top four. I I, I just don't, don't buy that whatsoever because... Solskjaer, it was Solskjaer who was managing them. That was the problem in the summer before they even signed Ronaldo. You thought, OK, they've got a really good squad now. They've assembled some, some excellent players. They've got most world-class players they've had in a long, long time. The problem is they've got him as the manager. And I suppose we didn't expect it to spiral as, as drastically or as spectacularly as it did, but it did spiral. And that was always the argument when Ronaldo came in. You knew he was going to be a success because he's too great a player not to be a success. Individually, he was going to score goals. He was going to win games for United. But you just wondered whether United, as a club, as a team, 
would succeed and haven't been succeeding and the manager's been sacked and they had to they had to sack him he should have been, he should have gone four weeks earlier so Rangnick said as I said he said pretty much all the right things today there was the odd misstep where he um, miscalculated Klopp's time at Liverpool but as I wrote in my colour piece there, there were some guys in in the press room who were surprised to discover that Klopp's into his seventh year at Liverpool that, that time does seem to have absolutely flown by and he mentioned the the DNA cliche, which I just have an irrational hatred of anyway. But there are some people at United that clearly quite like it. And there are also some people at United that don't like it as well and actually wince at its mention. But that was forgivable given the, the context of the answer. And he was talking about George Best, Bobby Charlton, Munich Air disaster. He was, he was very aware of the club's history. And he said that he'd actually been Googling United in recent weeks as well to... Um, to brush up on on his history and, and the players that had played for the club, so if if he if he'd really rebuked Ronaldo in any way whatsoever, it, it would have been the top line from the press conference, but it was nowhere near the top line today. Yeah, and there's always going to be an element of uncertainty, Ty, when a new manager comes in. That's just inevitable. Um, and who do you think is going to be the winners from this appointment? And who do you think is going to be the losers? Because you look at maybe perhaps the older players. I noticed he kind of alluded to that. Um, at his previous clubs, um, for example, Nemanja Matic, maybe or, or or Mata, who Samuel's done a bit of writing on, maybe they're coming to the end of the times at the club. Do you think they'll move on? And who do you think will be the big winners from the appointment as well? I think I think the obvious winner, I suppose, is Sancho. Um, I mean, it feels like he's been a winner just by virtue of of Solskjaer leaving his, you know, his three best games for United have been the last three, really. Um, that may be it may be coincidence, but it certainly doesn't reflect brilliantly on on Solskjaer. Um, I was bemused at why he was starting on the left last night, to be honest, and why him and Rashford never once swapped wings. Yet he still found a way to to influence the game from the left. I, I thought Rashford did little on the right apart from set up Ronaldo's goal, but Sancho was a threat on the left, and he played both of those inside passes to Fred for the first and third goals and. I think he's he's an obvious player that is going to benefit from Ranić. Ranić obviously tried to sign him, I think, at, at RB Leipzig, and Sancho is used to this German approach, this this counter pressing approach. He's used to the very structured way that German football is coached, so I think it's going to come naturally to him. So I think he'll be yeah. he'll be a big winner. Um, beyond that, it'd be interesting to see if if Van der Beek gets more of a chance than he has done under Solskjaer. Um, there's his honorary honorary uh, podcast mention. I think Fred as well. Fred's Fred's role has changed under Carrick. He's been a lot more further forward. Um, he, was, he was in the box last night to set Fernandez up and win the penalty. His starting position's been a lot higher. He is probably the best and most intelligent presser in the United team. Um, so I think he'll. I think he could be a winner for Ranić. I, I mean, I would still have concerns about his actual ability on the ball as a midfielder and whether he's good enough in a title-winning team, but. What he can provide is is pressing, and he's been vital with that in the last in the, in the two games against Villarreal and Chelsea. He created goals via or chances via his pressing. He did it again early in the second half last night. I think it was when he won the ball back high up the pitch and created a good chance. So I can see him being a winner. Um, beyond that, it's hard to say on on losers. Really, I'm not sure there's anyone that off the top of my head that strikes me as someone who's going to I'm be a loser. Well, Wambasaka maybe, yeah, that's that's true. Um, I mean, the fact that was Dallow's first start in the league in more than two years last night is incredible, given how well he played. I thought he was very solid. Um, his pass to Rashford for the second goal was brilliant. He defended well against Smith Rowe. 
So I'm sure he'll have caught Ranić's eye and Wan Bissaka just doesn't doesn't seem to know when to press and when not to. His ability on the ball is poor. So I think Wan Bissaka, I guess, could be the loser. But in terms of the older players, I think that's something that's going to you know, it, it's turned into a youthful squad anyway under Solskjaer, so I don't think there's a bigger issue to get rid of the likes of Matic and, and Mata. I mean, Mata's, um, you know, Mata's almost in irrelevance this season, to be honest, as, as sad as that is for a player of his calibre. It's bemusing why he's why he was given a new one-year contract because he's nowhere near um, getting a game and it would make sense for him to move on anyway. But beyond that, I don't don't really see any significant uh, significant changes coming. We're talking about changes and obviously that kind of leads on a nice little segue to the transfer window, Samuel, um, just a month away in January. And Ranić obviously said um, he's not usually the biggest fan of transfers in the winter. They can be unsustainable. Um, what can we expect from United, do you think, and the Ranić in this window coming up and, and perhaps maybe beyond that longer term when he moves into that consultancy role, if he does move into that role? Well, the, the fact that he said that January is not a sustainable time to sign players, both well because United have formed for well, Alexis Sanchez was the most unsustainable of January signings. On the flip side of that, you had Fernandez, who's been a semi-transformative signing. Uh, he's he was certainly the best recruit on uh, during Solskjaer's time as as manager of the club. But then you've also got Odin Igalo, who was a short-term fix, who in fairness to him did okay, um, served a purpose up until um, up until the lockdown came in and, and, and the season was suspended. After that, it was, it was crazy that they extended his loan as, as long as they did. But by and large, United's hit rate in New Year windows isn't, isn't great. Normally, that's a time for... I mean, Newcastle, for example, obviously are going to have to be quite active in January because the squad is let's face it it's more championship level championship standard than premier league standard they've not won a game yet in the legal season uh they've got the funds to go out there and be ambitious and strengthen the squad and, and try and stay up i mean it would be an absolute disaster for them even though you'd expect them to come straight back up from the championship which they've done before in in recent years but still the humiliation of going down the championship with all this saudi arabian money swirling around um would, would not be a good look for, for sports washing. But with United, the squad is so, so bloated as it is already, and they're so useless at selling players that the emphasis has, in January, I would think, has got to be on seeing if you can obtain fees for players who are coming out of their, coming to the end of their contracts in the summer. Lingard is a, is a case in point. Lingard might be a player who benefits under Rangnick because I think he's, uh, for much of his career, certainly at United, he's been more effective off the ball than on it, uh, which is a strange thing to say, but he's a very intelligent footballer if you watch him when he's not got the ball in terms of his pressing, in terms of his movement, the the pockets he can find. It, it was a little bit different at West Ham because his impact was all about his, his, his goals and his, his match-winning prowess. But a number of times for United, it's been those spontaneous runs or a spontaneous great goal that has... Um, that has salvaged a performance from him. But given that he's turning 29 this month and is out of contract at the end of the season, and it doesn't look like that that scenario is changing given how little he's played already this season, they have got to, just by logic, try and see if there's a buyer out there that that would take him in January. They should have sold him in the summer, but that was that was endemic of um, Solskjaer's indecision in that that was a very easy decision to make. But... He just didn't have the ruthlessness to say to this 
kid who'd spent three quarters of his life at United and who he gave his reserve team debut to, that, you know, it's time for you to move on. You've got to go. He, he was afraid to have that tough conversation with Lingard. Now, Rangnick, one of the best things about him coming into United is that he is purely objective. He has no attachment to the club whatsoever. Um, you would imagine he will analyse individuals in a very cold and calculated way that is with the best interests of the club. And with Lingard, okay, he might be able to get back into the fold under Rangnick, but it seems like there's little point even trying it. He's just a player to generate funds for uh, from in, in January, if at all possible. With Pogba, I think it's different because um, it, it makes more sense for him to keep his options open at the end of the season. With Lingard, though, he needs game time as soon as possible because he's not in the England squad. Uh, he needs to put that face time in when the, there are the squad get-togethers in March and June. Pogba doesn't need to do that because we know as long as he's fit, he's going to be starting for France and Qatar next November. So he can bide his time and wait for the best offer uh, to come up in the summer, I think. I'd, I'd be surprised if a club out there was prepared to actually spend money on Pogba in January. There don't seem to be many elite clubs that desperately need Pogba to come in, particularly when he's been he'll have been, he'll have been injured for, what, two months, I think, going into the January transfer window. Um and then beyond those, you've got players who are out of contract at the embassies like Cavani and Mata who, OK, if, if they push to go in January, let them go, I suppose. Uh, Cavani's just too brittle. Mata is pretty much a cheerleader these days, which is a shame because he's had, I think he's actually had a pretty good career at United and he's had some very good and key impacts during his time at the club. But they've got to get this one in a place where they can clear the decks and the next manager, permanent manager, whether it's actually Rangnick staying on or Pochettino or Ten Hag or Rogers, they've got a leaner squad, but they've also got the funds and the leverage to go out there and say, I want these key signings to strengthen the first team so we can actually get up to speed and hit the ground running next season. Looking ahead to the weekend then, Ty, obviously uh, Palace um, at home at Old Trafford. We've talked about Ranić's philosophy and it's probably unrealistic to expect him to be full-on Ranić ball. Of course it is. What extent of his influence will we see on Sunday and what can we expect over the next month or so? I would think that probably the, the, the most obvious thing to expect is an improvement defensively and a, a tightening up of, of the defence, really. Um, that's kind of happened under Carrick, although it went a bit, a bit pear-shaped last night. I still thought it was noticeable last night that it felt like the defensive line was a lot higher than it had been under Solskjaer, that the gap between defence and midfield and midfield and attack was was a lot narrower. I mean, under Solskjaer, you could have, you know, you could have driven a 7-4-7 between defence and midfield and midfield and attack. <laughs> last night, it felt a lot, a lot narrower. It felt like they were playing as a team. Um, I thought there was elements last night where you could see what they were trying to do in terms of pressing. It was obvious first half, especially from our view, where when Ramsdale had a, had a goal kick, United were basically lining up in a three-two-three-two and had Dallow on the right wing, sort of ready to ready to press. So I think Carrick has maybe introduced a couple of elements that Ranjit can can build on um, in terms of that. But like you said, I don't think we're going to see a whole-scale revolution on on Sunday. We're not going to see players pairing around the pitch chasing after the ball. Um, been noticeable actually the last couple of games that as soon as uh, Chelsea and Arsenal both kicked off first. And as soon as they kicked off, United's two attackers, um, Ronaldo didn't last night, but against Chelsea, I think it was Sancho and Rashford who just sprinted after the nearest defender to get to the ball. And 
last night, Arsenal kicked off and went back and Rashford just sprinted as fast as he could at, at Arsenal's um, centre-half. So it's kind of like a, a statement of intent or, or trying to catch Ranić's eye maybe. But yeah, I don't think we're going to see a revolution on, on Sunday. I think the team selection is probably the most interesting element and in, in how he sets yes. the team up, whether it's with the 4-2-3-1 or the 4-3-3. But I don't think tactically we're going to see loads of changes. But I think the most obvious improvement to look for is is defensively. And the way to do that is is probably winning the ball higher up the pitch and, and narrowing the gap, really, between the lines. Samuel, I'll let you have your say on that. And obviously, um, team selection on Sunday will be a big talking point before I have the kind of final word on Michael Carrick because he deserves that of his 15 years at the club. But personnel-wise and formation-wise on Sunday, um, we've kind of talked upon Dallow. I would quite like to see him start um, if Juan Pasaka is back in the squad. What do you expect on Sunday in, in, in that sense? Good question. Difficult to answer as well, uh, because as Rangnick was almost at pains to point out today, there's not a lot of time to actually train the players because of the tight turnaround. And also today, we're speaking Friday, the players who played last night will have recovery sessions today. So someone like Ronaldo is only going to have one training session under Rangnick before he plays on him on, on Sunday. So you can't really implement your ideas in just one training session, he'll you'll be able to familiarise himself with the players and obviously speak to them, of course, and, and go about actually managing them. But as Ty's already said, and, and Rangnick said himself, that that process will take a bit of time. Next week is an opportunity because for a lot of the players, it's what, what Mourinho used to refer to as a closed week in that they've got young boys on Wednesday, but they've already topped the group um, in the Champions League. So a lot of the players you would think would be rested for the Norwich game on the Saturday, particularly again because that's another Norwich is the first of uh, double header uh, way games, a bit of travelling quite quite tightly close together as well. It's Norwich on the Saturday, and then Brentford on the Tuesday. So the conditioning is going to be important. It always is in December um, because of the the fixture congestion. Even though United have got this incongruous nine day period between the pre-Christmas game against Brighton and the post-Christmas game at Newcastle on, on the 27th. So so in terms of Sunday, um, it wouldn't surprise me if United do bear a little bit of similarity or, or resemblance, sorry, to how they've been playing recently um, under Carrick and, and Solskjaer. The, the first half an hour against Arsenal, uh, you could have mistaken it for Solskjaer managing them still because it was rigid 4-2-3-1. The, the front four were playing a different tune to the rest of the uh, players in the team. They, they couldn't really cope with Arsenal's intense high press. They couldn't press particularly well um, at, from the front either. It, it just seemed that as soon as Arsenal scored, Arsenal's ego got the better of them and that they thought they could post through it because United had been so woeful recently. But they forgot that Arsenal despite their form, aren't actually as good as they think they are. And they ended up losing the game. United just got back into it, took that momentum into the second half and fully deserved to win. I thought it was really deluded of Arteta afterwards to say that Arsenal deserved something out of it. I, I couldn't really understand where he was coming from there whatsoever. United really had them. United played front foot football for most of the second half and, and Rangnick um, noted that as well today. He said the first 20 minutes of the second half, how, how impressive they were. I suppose after they scored the third goal, it was they were bound to be in lockdown mode, clinging on. It was going to be that resilience. And they got a bit lucky at times when, when Saka was unattended after crosses went over and, and Tellez was coming too narrow and he didn't really take take those chances. 
So there'll be an element of deprogramming, I suppose, from from the Solskjaer era. And and Mourinho talked about that as well, how he had to deprogram certain players because of um, Van Gaal's robotic style. I mean, in, in one of the uh, obituaries of, of, of Van Gaal, when, when he was about to get the sack, there was all this talk about how he insists on players taking a touch before they actually had a shot at goal. Um, and one player used that as, as an excuse for him not not bearing a tap-in effectively. So it's, it's interesting how the, the, there's always this very, very drastic shift, it seems, between managers at United, whether it's going from Moyes, who had no authority whatsoever, to an authoritarian in Van Gaal, who was then a bit of a relic as a coach, to a very marquee name in Mourinho, who then turned out to be <laughs> just just hated really by the majority of the squad to get someone in like Solskjaer, who was loved by a lot of the squad. And then you're going back to someone who has, has coaching cachet, um, whereas Solskjaer, although he had some very impressive results at United, he nobody's nobody's ever going to give him a coach of the year award so it's as as ty said it's it's fascinating there's an element of excitement about it it's it's a bit of a leap into the unknown for united but it's it's going to be um it's going to be a very very interesting month to cover for us it's been quite an upbeat podcast, hasn't it? We're feeling okay. It's been a, <laughs> been a nice change, hasn't it? Um, Ty, I just want to end on Michael Carrick, really. Obviously, he deserves a word after his, his fantastic service to the club. He took over in a difficult period. Um, he up- uplifted spirits, boosted morale, and he obviously got a few good results against Villarreal, um, Chelsea and Arsenal. So how did you assess his time at the club, really, um, at a coaching capacity? And what have you thought as uh, the way he's carried himself in the last few weeks? It's hard to say, really, in a coaching capacity, because... Carrick and, and Kieran McKenna were obviously tarred with the, the end of the Solskjaer era and the obvious failings that were occurring on the coaching pitch. But the way he set the team up in those three games would suggest maybe that, I mean, he's, he's incredibly loyal to Solskjaer. He's clearly very friendly with him. But you wonder whether his full influence was being felt under Solskjaer because what he's showing us in, in caretaker games feels like he had more to offer as a coach under Solskjaer. Um, I would say just from from looking at what we've seen, he, he, you know, he's done a good job in those caretaker games. Has to be said, three to get two wins in a draw, I think, is the most anyone could have expected from those three fixtures. I think he's done some interesting things with the team. I think we all expected before that Villarreal game that because he was so close to Solskjaer, because he was part of his coaching team, that it would just be a repeat of what we'd seen before. But he he made two big decisions in those first two games in leaving out Fernandez and Ronaldo. He's done some interesting things to the team. I thought it was interesting that in both, he was a bit more rigid last night, although it became a bit more fluid as the game went on. But in both the Villarreal and Chelsea games, he played systems that were you know, pretty unbalanced, really. It was hard to put an obvious... You know, We always like to put numbers to formations. Is that a 4-2-3-1 or a 3-5-2 or a 4-3-3? A lot of top managers these days almost aren't concerned about the numbers. It, it's about space and who's playing in what space and who's filling what space. And it felt like there was a bit of that with Carrick in those two away games that you were watching it and it was hard to put a number on it. Like against Villarreal, it was 4-4-2 one minute, then it looked sort of 4-3-3 and it was, it was very fluid and very difficult to actually pin it down to a to a numbered formation. So it was interesting what he did there. I think in those three games, he's he certainly showing the potential to to have a career and that's the way he wants to go. It, it sounds from what he was saying last night that he wants to spend more time with his family. I think the timing is certainly intriguing shall we say um 
but yeah, I think as you know, as a caretaker, I think he's done done a pretty good job. And considering less than two weeks ago, everyone was wondering why he hadn't been booted out the door with Solskjaer. I think you know he leaves with his head held high last night after those three games in charge and the three results he picked up. Yeah, and uh, I think we'll just end it there. And we've uh, had a good half an hour. I think we've dissected the main talking points. So thank you, Samuel. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Ty. Cheers, Stephen. Thank you, mate. Pleasure as always, guys. And thanks to listeners as usual. We'll be back on Monday morning after United's game against Palace. Thank you.